Terra incognita speculator. Terra incognita speculator. Welcome to the Terra Incognita Speculative Fiction Podcast. I'm your host, Keith Stevenson. Put simply, Terra Incognita is the best Australian speculative fiction told by the authors who created it. The programme will be podcast monthly, and we have an impressive lineup of contributors. But for this inaugural show about Australian speculative fiction presented by a Scotsman, I thought we'd start with a story by a New Zealander. Paul Haynes is now happily living in Australia, and since he moved here, he's become well-known for his particular brand of visceral urban horror. Paul has won numerous awards and contributed to anthologies and magazines, both here and overseas. And please visit tisf.com.au for links to Paul's website and publications. The story he's selected, The Devil and Mr Pussy, tells of a haunting which is definitely not run-of-the-mill, and won the 2007 Australian Ditmar Award for a novella. Please note, this story carries a parental advisory. It contains adult themes and language. The stifled moans and muted screams of my wife from the adjoining bedroom made it hard to concentrate. The cat was right. Things had gotten to the point where I needed to lay blame. Mr Pussy sat straight back like a temple guardian on my silk rug, staring at me as I worked. He preferred the Persian silk to the Pakistani wool. The edges of the rug were smothered in black fur. Pregnancy can be a killer. Mr Pussy gave his thick coat another attention-seeking lick. And you know I don't like kids. This will be different. I focused on the screen and the manuscript in progress. Touched by Jesus. It's got to be good. I gave Mr Pussy a withering stare. Unless, of course, you're associated with the other half. He stopped his licking and looked at me, his cat-yellow eyes wide in the dim light of the study. You're kidding me, right? I can't believe you've bought into this shit. You're losing your marbles, mate. A moan came from the bedroom, a guttural response sliding towards the uncomfortable side of pain. Or pleasure. I hoped it was pain. Jealousy, even at a time like this, was hard to contain. Morella and I moved here to start a family, you know that. Yeah, sure you did, but this ain't normal. This is fucking weird. And the cat was right. It was weird. I was starting to get those cravings again, too. My vision blurred at the edges and the skin on the back of my hand danced, waltzing slowly around to my wrist and tangoing up to the crook of my elbow. You hungry? Mr Pussy bounded off the rug and was halfway towards the kitchen. You betcha! Let's eat! I followed his upright bushy tail and freshly cleaned arsehole, an exclamation point to our addiction, to the pantry. I filled his bowl with our current favourite, beef, lamb liver and vegetable bickies, and poured myself a handful while I was at it. I felt a little more in control now. And who was to blame? I couldn't blame myself. Jesus. Definitely Jesus. And the woman that introduced us to this madness. Lucy Case. We should never have bought this house from her. Lucy Case led Morella and me down a long hallway plastered with pictures of Christ. The long-haired, blue-eyed, softly bearded, good old American Christ the world had grown to love in the last couple of hundred years. I wish I'd shaved my beard off before coming over. I had this feeling, you know, Lucy said, ushering us through into the living area. This time I'd find the proper people to take it over. I've had the house on the market twice before, but no real takers. She smiled at an old bamboo calendar of Christ and his arm outstretched, beaming benignly. More than a feeling, actually. A glass of champagne to celebrate? 
That would be lovely, Morella replied. As Lucy filled the flutes, Morella and I glanced at each other. The real estate agent had been right. Ms Case was a little overzealous. Still, she'd sold us the house at a not-quite-a-bargain, but better than we'd expected to pay for the area price. Lucy smiled and handed me a glass. She was a handsome woman for her fifty-odd years, and her buxom figure still held allure. She'd have no problem attracting men fifteen years her junior. I noticed Morella had to retrieve her own glass from the bench as Lucy indicated for me to take a seat. I sat next to the muted television that had ghosting and static swimming across the screen. Lucy didn't switch the television off. I took a sip of the champagne, it was warm, and glanced around the room at the framed pictures of Christ with sheep, Christ with halo, Christ with stigmata offering blessings, Christ smiling, nodding, understanding, Christ on a stick, a magnetic Christ on the fridge, Christ on a Harley, and there, on the side table next to a bookcase covered in Christ, sat an early 80s glam photo of Lucy in soft focus. Big breasts and bigger hair, in a reclining pose that screamed, Stick your cock on me and I'll eat you alive, boy, and you'll die loving it. So what do you do for a living, Paul? Lucy asked. I'm a writer. Speculative fiction, mostly. I do computer work on the side to pay the bills. Paul had a short story collection published last year, Morella chipped in. He's working on a novel at the moment. A writer? Lucy nodded, never taking her eyes off me. Yes, of course. Creative. Morella works for a charity, I said, trying to divert Lucy's unwavering attention. For disadvantaged children, said Morella. That's nice. Now, Paul, the ideas, the inspiration, where do you get them from for your stories? Well, I don't know. Sometimes they come fully formed, you know, like a vision. Yes, a vision, exactly. She sipped her cheap champagne. Some say God gives inspiration, that the artist is simply channeling the vision of God. I smiled, uncomfortably. From the corner of my eye, I caught Morella trying not to laugh into her glass. Oh, I'm not particularly... I wasn't always like this, Lucy indicated the Christ around the room. Something happened that changed me. I don't like to think of myself as religious. I prefer spiritual. She leaned forward in her chair, closer to me, closer to my face. Religious is a bit of a dirty word these days, wouldn't you say? Lucy's glamour photo stared at me harder than the Lucy in the armchair. Perhaps the photo was a reminder of her past life, the wolf, the lupes, the alpha female among Christ and his sheep. The atmosphere in the room filled with fucked up sex, soaking my skin and muddling my brain. I fumbled for my glass, spilling the wine to my lap. Fuck, oh, Jesus Christ! My cheeks burned. Oh, Lucy said nothing, but pressed a Christ-emblazoned tea towel against my thigh. I grabbed it quickly, trying not to tear it from her hands. Sorry about that, I said meekly. Morella had clearly decided her absence from the conversation was preferred. I, I can do this. Lucy smiled and lounged back in the armchair. Yes, yes, I'm sure you can, Paul. A good strong name, that, Paul. Yeah, road to Damascus, yeah, I know, I replied. I could have followed it up with a bloke who lost his sight and later became a born-again nutter, but I thought it pertinent not to as I mopped my groin. Very good. Lucy placed her half-empty glass onto a Christ coaster on the coffee table and took the damp towel from me. So why did you want to move to this side of town? We're wanting to start a family, said Morella. We, Lucy patted my wife on the knee. That's lovely, dear. Then she fixed her sharp blue eyes on me again. God rewards his own, and you've certainly come to the right place. Sorry, I asked. The area, I meant. This is the baby-booming suburb of Melbourne. Anyway, with formalities over, I expect you'd like to know a little history of this house. I nodded. Formalities? 
We passed a test. It's actually a replica, built to period detail, Lucy said. It's blessed by St. Joseph. St. Joseph, I asked. You don't know who St. Joseph is? Oh, the only Joseph I know was Jesus' father. The very same. The patron saint of carpenters. A big, strong man, too. Giuseppe and his son Gianni, the men who built this house, said it was the easiest job they've ever had to do. Like the hammers were guided onto the nails by unseen hands. Lucy raised her eyebrows and nodded sagely like the answer was all too obvious. The top of her shirt was now unbuttoned. St. Joseph's big hands. Gianni, bless him in his youthful exuberance, even claimed to see St. Joseph helping him lay the floorboards. Really, said Morella. I hardly heard the ridicule leak off her lips. She was good, my wife. Good. It may seem hard to believe, but others have seen him here too. I held regular meetings, where we have the pleasure of being visited by St. Joseph. My dear friend Barbara had seen him come while we prayed. The very floor around us bloomed with rose petals and the hallway filled with blossom from his passing. Another button from his shirt had somehow come undone to reveal a hint of lace cupping a firm curve of breast. I cleared my throat. <clears throat> we have to be at Susie's by nine, Morella said to me. Of course, Lucy stood and smoothed her skirt. As she led us back to the front door, she said, It's important to have the right people take over the house. God told me to wait. I refused the first two offers on this place. But he said you would come and pay the proper price. Once inside the car and out onto the highway, I said, So, Morella, do you think she liked me? That woman is fucking insane, Morella replied. A week after we shifted into our new house, another young couple, James and Simone, moved in next door. They invited us over for a barbecue shortly after. James put on an obscure XTC album he loved. It happened to be one of my favourites. And Simone placed a chilled bottle of Chardonnay on the table and handed me an imported beer. Music floated out of the outdoor speakers and I sank back into the deck chair to bask in the late afternoon sun. Oh, I liked them already. We're wanting to start a family, said Morella. So are we, said Simone. Really? Morella leaned forward in her seat. Click. Laughter and conversation followed, and we talked about children and jobs and music and film, and eventually how we bought our houses. I ranted on about how this crazy religious nutter Lucy Case has sold us her house, complete with a hundredfold Christ and blossoming St. Joseph visitations come orgies. When Simone told us that Lucy had overseen their house deal, we burst out laughing again. And seizing the moment, I admonished at length about the gullibility of Christians, the perversity of faith, and how screwed up some people were in their beliefs. Another beer, Paul? asked James. Yeah, sure. He excused himself to get fresh drinks as the sun dipped below the house horizon, and Simone leant over the table. James is Catholic, she whispered. My face fell. Morella bored very bad thoughts into my skull, and the twilight chilled my skin. But don't worry, Simone refilled her glass of wine. He's not like that. I decided to take a few months off to seriously pursue the great crossover SF horror novel that would earn me millions. I'd started with a hiss and a roar in our old place, but the only words making it to the manuscript now were banal, crap, cliché, and I aggressively deleted them. Very soon, not even those words were making it to the page. You're still settling into the house, Paul, said Morella as she left for work. Don't push yourself. Let it happen. It'll come. Nothing came. Mr Pussy sat in my in-tray on the desk, staring at me with drugged hostility. I think he resented the Clomacalm, a feline antidepressant would put him on to help him overcome his anxiety, and also to help him adjust to the move to a new neighbourhood. As the keyboard didn't hold any magic, I decided to do a little more settling. 
I screwed shelves into the hook-hold walls that had once been smothered in Christ pictures and crammed them full of my books and CDs. Sat in front of the keyboard. Hung surrealist prints my wife wouldn't allow elsewhere in the house. Sat in front of the keyboard. Laid my rugs and put up my Chilean fertility masks. Sat in front of the keyboard. Browsed porn sites. Put the cat outside. Masturbated. Sat in front of the keyboard. Masturbated. The only thing that came was me. Maybe it was the goddamn room that was wrong. Bad karma or feng shui or something. Perhaps if I'd tried writing somewhere else in the house, I could kickstart the novel again, but I really couldn't be asked shifting the computer equipment, and my handwriting sucked. I even wondered if St. Joseph didn't approve of speculative fiction and had unblessed my study. Outside the window, Mr. Pussy caterwauled, long plaintive cries, evocative of deep gashes and severed limbs. I let him back in, and he resumed his position in the entry with a scowl. An hour later, the keyboard had refused to move, and so too had Mr. Pussy. He sat there, scowling at me. In fact, he didn't seem to do anything these days except sit and scowl. He didn't go outside to fight, to prowl, to sunbathe, or even to eat grass to help him throw up fur balls on the Persian silk. You're not liking those antidepressants, fatty boy, I asked him. Mr. Pussy maintained the scowl. I wondered what the poor thing was thinking, if it was even thinking at all. I headed to the kitchen to look at food we didn't have. The room was starting to reek of fish. Mr. Pussy hadn't cleaned up his bowl. Yet another side effect of his medication. No longer aggressive or insatiably hungry. No longer anything except an angry, drugged-out ball of molting black fur. The pantry provided little inspiration, so I made myself comfortable in the courtyard and tried to catch a little of the failing midday sun. And hopefully a couple of ideas for my failing novel. I awoke covered in sweat to the sound of the phone ringing. I leapt up. A sudden blood rush to the head causing my vision to sparkle and staggered inside. As I pick up the phone, I saw a silhouette framed by the sun in the hallway, but it disappeared as my eyesight returned to normal. Hello? I said into the phone. Hi, hun, it's me. Morella sounded depressed. What's wrong? I got my period. It's never going to happen. I hate this. It's going to happen, Morella. Just be patient. Good things take two years, Paul. I'm not going to happen. It's not going to happen. She sounded like a dam about to burst. I'm so sick of all this. I can't work here anymore. I can't stand being around the kids. I'm going to quit. But you love your job, I said. Only last month you were saying how you love working with the kids. It's just that time of the month. Don't do anything stupid, Morella. What the fuck would you know? Time of the month? The dam burst and tears flooded the conversation. It's all right for you, sitting at home pretending to be a writer. I don't want to do this for the rest of my life. I want to be a mother. You can go and get fucking work. I didn't know what to say, so I let her get it all out. We need help, Morella said. IVF. If that's what you want, but it's expensive and you can't quit your job, at least not yet. We've talked about this before. I know, she said, the dam now empty. I'm just upset, that's all. You know how I get. She paused. I'm sorry about what I said before. You know I love you. It's okay, I said. IVF. That meant I'd have to go back to work sooner than planned. Hopefully there'd be a delay in getting an appointment. Did you get any writing done, she asked. Yeah, yeah, a little. Hey, um, Mr Pussy's still not eating. Maybe we should take him off those pills. The vet said three months, hun. We don't want him bleeding around the house, or worse, running away. We'll change his diet. One of the girls here says her cat has gone crazy over these new cat biscuits. I'll bring some home tonight. When she hung up, she sounded happier. Her fur kids always distracted her from the real issue, if only temporarily. 
kitchen really stunk of fish now, so I cleaned out Mr Pussy's bowl before hitting the keyboard again. On the way to the study, the hallway smelled of roses. 80% of my sperm had hammerheads, congenital defects of the sperm tail, defective motility or other maturation disorders. The volume of boys was there, but most of them were swimming without their lights on. 88% sounded bad. I needed to give up beer and wine, absinthe, dope, cocaine, ecstasy, coffee, caffeine, codeine, actually anything fun ending with in, even margarine, white bread, hamburgers, pizza, fish and chips, chocolate, coca-cola and lemonade. I was supposed to replace them with juice, flaxseed oil, pumpkin seeds, waters, legumes, nuts, olive oil, water, vitamin C and E, L-lysine and L-carnitine amino acids, zinc, selenium, vitamin B12 and water. Oh, yeah, I had to stop wanking. Morella made me painfully aware of something else absent in my life as we lay in bed while the cat meowed outside the bedroom door for his breakfast. I had a weird dream last night. Morella's head rested against my shoulder. We were in bed like this, except it was dark, but I could still see everything. We weren't making love. You were fucking me. He had pinned me to the bed and I couldn't move, and every part of you was huge and wild. Right. So I was obviously not huge and wild in real life. But at least it had been me in the dream doing the business. And I had orgasm after orgasm, and I felt you flowing into me, filling me. And oh God, it felt so real. I wasn't making any noise or moving about, was I? Not that I noticed, I said. Mr Pussy practices hit by a cow meowing and scratch at the door. Shut up, pussy! It got weird, and when I looked into your eyes and saw a reflection of you standing in the doorway, and you were masturbating while you watched me have sex with you, or who I thought was you, Morella paused for a deep breath. I think it turned into someone else, then my belly began to swell. I tried to keep the frustration out of my voice. You're getting a little obsessed with pregnancy, don't you think? The average conception takes a year. Next you'll be telling me you've seen St. Joseph wandering around the house on rose petals and he's going to help us conceive. I'm not obsessed. It was just a dream. Morella propped herself up on one elbow and glued at me. You just upset I dreamt about having sex with someone else. No, I'm not. Mr. Pussy clawed at the door and yelled. I clambered out of bed, stalked to the door and yanked it open. What? It's not your bloody breakfast time yet. The cat sat straight-faced and silent, staring at me. His medication was wearing off. A sullen glare had softened. I stepped towards the kitchen. He was off at a trot, looking behind occasionally to make sure I was following. I suspected cats had some modicum of telepathy, for though they can't speak, they always manage to let you know what they want. Perhaps more than telepathy, because you always end up doing what they want. After I had sustained a few scratches administering his clomacalm, I returned to the bedroom. The shower was running and the bedsheets were thrown back. There was a wet spot where Morella had been sleeping. Great. We weren't falling pregnant. Morella wanted to quit her job, my novel was going nowhere faster than I was, and my cat had turned into a zombie-like alarm clock on antidepressants. Ah, and my wife was having wet dreams. And I wasn't having any dreams at all. I realised then that I hadn't dreamed since moving into the house, and I needed inspiration. I needed to break the curse that St Joseph held sway over this house. But how? Lucy Case would call it divine intervention. I'd call it stuck in a rut. I thought, and God only knows why, and there you go, Lucy. It might help me get out of mine. I'd successfully cut back on the marijuana since we'd started trying to conceive, and I hadn't touched Charlie, the drug, not the boy, for months. 
keeping my testicles and my balls clean is what I told people. No drugs for Paulie boy. Hell, I'd even stop polishing the horn come ovulation time. So when I first started taking the cat's antidepressants, I didn't think of it as divine intervention. I certainly didn't think of it as taking drugs, and to be honest, I didn't know what I was thinking. All I knew was they worked for Mr Pussy, he'd stopped eating his ass. And I didn't take his antidepressants because I was depressed, no, far from it. I wanted inspiration, or at least a different set of ideas, thought processes, madness, whatever, banging around in those brain cells of mine. Mr Pussy had half a Clomacalm pill per day, so I thought I'd go for a whole based on my having a larger body mass. I swallowed it with a glass of orange juice, then followed the instructions on the bottle by eating a couple of pieces of toast. And after a while, nothing happened. So I sat at my keyboard and stared at all the nothing happening on the screen. The postman's arrival after midday wasn't just an excuse to get away from the study. You know, Mail collection was something that was necessary and needed to be done. So and I watched him puttering off down the street and thought perhaps I'd have more time to think with a job like that. None of the mail was for us. A couple of bills for Lucy and religious junk mail from one of her boarders, John Guillermo, and another one for Benny Benito. I found a pair of male underpants hidden beneath a drawer in the bathroom and wondered just how many boarders she'd had here and how many of those boarders were sharing not just the room. Lucy's come-fuck-me-glamour photo leered in my memory and I shuddered and went back to stare at the screen. At five o'clock, Mr Pussy yelled from the doorway to announce his hunger. I poured him a bowl with the Bickies Morella had bought back from the pet store. He purred while he ate, teeth crunching and saliva slobbering. He even let me pat him. Wonder Bickies, Morella's friend had called them. Fussy cats went crazy over them, and it appeared she was right. Mr Pussy loved them. And normally the Bickies stank worse than the fish product in the snappy tom cans, but tonight they didn't smell too bad at all. In fact, they even looked... good... Keys rattled in the front door. I prepared myself for Morella's haranguing when I would lie to her about how many words I hadn't written that day, and then convinced that we still had enough money for me to not work, but not quite enough for her not to. And I'd take two pills instead of one to see if that made any difference. Confused? Ah, not me. You can lead a man to the watering hole, but you can't make him stiff. Or maybe I was flogging my dead horse. It's that time, said Morella. They sound like the words spoken before being led to the firing squad. Even worse, the bedroom felt like an execution chamber. I don't want to go in there, and neither did Morella. Ready? The sheets are cold. I'm going to keep my jumper on, Morella dropped her pants and wriggled out her underwear, and my socks. I undressed and clambered on. We both shivered and pressed against each other for warmth. We could do this in the lounge. I pulled the duvet over our bodies. The couch hurts my neck, and anyway, the cat's in there. She reached for my placid penis and gave it a tug. Mr Pussy doesn't care. I fingered her vagina, trying to bring on the rains, but it was drier than a Sydney winter down there. He watches us. I laughed. He does not. He's a cat. He wouldn't even comprehend what we were doing. Hey, should we kiss, perhaps? We pecked each other on the lips, and I nibbled her earlobe. Don't. That tickles. Morella smeared a little Vaseline on her hands and resumed flogging my dead horse. And what have you been eating? Your breath smells funny. I made a mental note to use Listerine before she got home. I hadn't quite figured out how to tell Morella about my new dietary supplements. Sorry. I began to stiffen. Good boy, she said. Aim. I poked around at the gates, but they weren't opening. They still needed a bit of oil. I pushed harder. Ow! Morella said. Go easy. Sorry. She slowly guided me in, her body tensing with every dry inch. Then suddenly I was inside. Fire. That was quick. Sorry, I said. Do you want me to finish you off? Nah, look, I'm not really in the mood. We lay next to each other, staring at the ceiling, waiting for my boys to settle in for the ride. 
Hope the water in the watering hole wasn't undrinkable. Mr Pussy chomped his way through breakfast. Three days had passed and I'd decided two pills felt okay. I wasn't sure if I actually felt any different, but I did feel, well, like a flower in a forest that no one ever sees. And that felt okay to me. Mr Pussy paused in his chomping. He sat back and nodded towards his bickies. What's wrong? I knelt to pat him. He nodded again at the bowl. The bickies smelt meaty and spicy. And according to the information on the box, they contained Semenex, a product based on L-carnitine and L-lysine amino acids. And as I now knew, they helped increase sperm production. You want me to have some? Mr Pussy purred. I mean, it made sense. Perhaps my testicles were telling my brain what it needed. I took a pinch of bickies, coarse between my finger and thumb, a crumbly milk chocolate brown. I put them in my mouth and dabbed at their rough surface with my tongue. Salty and spicy, like an Arabic stew made from some exotic ingredient best left unknown. I bit down to what was like a peanut M&M coated in spice instead of chocolate and with a mushy, meaty interior instead of the nut. Actually, it probably was a nut, though, of camel or horse origin. What do you think good old St. Joseph would say to this? I took another pinch from the bowl. I think he'd say, Eat him up, paws. It's news for the Jews and the boars. Mr. Pussy purred louder and placed his paw on my arm. He looked happy. And, I reckon, so did I. The morning started badly and the afternoon ended worse. Morella, are you okay? Muted sobs came from behind the bathroom door. I guess what the problem was. Leave me alone, she said. I'm fine. I tried the door and found it locked. Hey, maybe we should take a few days off and go spend some time with your family, I suggested. There's too many bloody babies at home, she screamed through the door. How can you be so insensitive? The toilet flushed, the shower spattered on, and the cat renewed meowing from the hallway. After Morella left for work, I put the tampon wrapper in the bathroom floor in the rubbish bin and decided to take three of Mr Pussy's pills with breakfast. Why the hell not, I told myself. St Joseph had obviously unblessed the house on our arrival. Nothing had been going right since we'd moved in. Nothing. I filled my peanut bowl with a good dose of bickies to help me through the morning struggle with the manuscript and left Mr Pussy tearing up his toy mouse under the coffee table while I resumed my vigil at the keyboard. At least he had some life in him today. I mean, I'd heard him skating across the floorboard and smacking into things for an entire paragraph. Three pills. An entire paragraph? That was more than I'd written in weeks, and I'd managed to complete the paragraph in under an hour. I sat back and crunched on another mouthful of bickies and contemplated the genius on the screen. It read good, and it read real. The sound of the puttering postman stopped outside, followed by the soft thud of the letterbox lid. The puttering resumed and faded down the street. I tried to stand. The room decided to turn me around and lean me against the wall. My vision swam and my cheeks flushed and sweat broke on my brow. Whoa, boy. I steadied myself against the floor, but the walls pushed me onto my feet. Three pills and too many bickies. Not so good. Not so real. My rug smelled of roses and I was going to be sick. And a hundred cats yelled and the doorbell rang. I staggered into the hallway and leaned against the front door. There was a peephole, but it didn't like the look of my eye and wouldn't kiss me. I took a deep breath. I was obviously having a reaction to the antidepressants. The doorbell rang again. The Bukhara runner flowing down the hallway bubbled into blossom. Mr Pussy stood on his hind legs with his arms crossed at the far end of the hallway, smiling. You can answer that, cunty balls? It's doing my fucking head in. I shook my head and rubbed my eyes. The doorbell rang again. 
There was nothing at the other end of the hallway, nothing except for roses, hundreds, white, thousands, red, pouring down, petal pink, smothering me, drowning. I was going to end up dead like Kevin Spacey in American Beauty. I had to get out of the house. I yanked open the door and sunlight smashed my face. I squinted, staggered back and hit the door frame. Hello, Paul. Lucy Case stopped sorting through the mail in her lace-gloved hands. Her eyes shone and her lips were as full as her breasts. You don't look very well. I'm fine, thanks. I suddenly felt very cold. I just need to collapse for a while. Lucy helped me into the bedroom, my arms wrapped around her shoulders, her arm encircling my waist. She wore rose water perfume that made me feel giddy, and underneath that I smelt the scent of her skin, clean and arousing like a spring thaw in the Alps. I understand you've been having problems. Cupping my head in one hand, Lucy lowered me onto the bed. She removed her gloves and wiped the sweat from my brow with one of them. I can help you. I've helped many men, you realise. John Guillermo, Benny Benito, your boarders, I said thickly. Craig Fitzpatrick, Graham Pritchard. She stilled my lips with a finger and a smile. All good men, Paul. All good, God-fearing men from the church. And God rewards his own. She leant forward. I was painfully aware of the depth of her cleavage and the weight of her bosom on my chest. My penis, too, was aware of these facts. You need to let God into your life, she whispered, like I let God into me. As she pulled back, her lips brushed mine. We kissed, our mouths wet and hungry, and I rolled her onto her back, tearing frantically at the buttons on her blouse. Her expert fingers worked in my pants. Within seconds, her hand gripped me, squeezed and stroked. I cupped her breasts, large and still firm, and kneaded them slowly. I squeezed hardened nipples between my fingers. Lucy moaned and kissed deeper. She hitched her skirt and I stretched her knickers to the side as she spread her legs wide. This gate was well oiled and this horse was bolting for it. Will you let him into your lives? Lucy moaned into my mouth. She arched her back as I slid into her. She grasped my buttocks, spreading them and pulling me closer. I thrust deep into her again and again, my steed as hard as Superman's steel. The bed bloomed with rose blossom as we sunk into petal depths sucking in each other's perfume. Will you let him in, she gasped. Yes, thrust. Yes, thrust. Yes. She spread my ass cheeks wider and slid in her finger. It took me by surprise, but I was caught up in the moment. I guess she was searching for a little prostate action. Another finger slipped in. And another. I felt the orgasm building between us as we pumped and bucked and probed and ground. Lucy pushed her entire fist into my ass as she started to climax. I panicked, surprised by the pain, but more so from the enormous pleasure, and immediately came, and came, and came, and my body shuddered. For a second I saw nothing but roiling shadows on a wall of flowers, then Lucy pulled out of me as I sank into her. Our sweat mingled, our laboured breathing became one, and I noticed her hands clenched around the bedhead, her knuckles white from the pressure. Her hands slowly unfurled and the blood seeped back into her fingers. I think we opened you up there, don't you? She wiped saliva from my lips. I collapsed and rolled off her, my chest heaving, my erection aching. Lucy sat up and adjusted her knickers. Just before I passed out, I suspected the we she was referring to did not include me. I just had my first threesome. I awoke sometime late in the afternoon. I was fully clothed and the bed was still made. Three pills? I had wanted to dream again, but that dream had been too much. Talking cats, rose blossoms, sex with Lucy Case, notwithstanding St. Bloody Joseph. I didn't want to think too much about that last part. Had I been dreaming or hallucinating? I still had that paragraph, didn't I? Surely I hadn't hallucinated that. I got up, 
still a little shaky and went into the study. There on the screen, resplendent in 12-point courier was my newly born paragraph, now three hours old. I sat down to admire it. Such a beautiful paragraph. It was a good feeling until Mr Pussy slunk into the room. So, you fucked the crazy old religious lady, eh? Critical mass. The point where everything we knew before changes to something we couldn't predict. The point where the poisons produced by the bacterial population living on the agar plate causes bacterial genocide. The intimate relationship between the sugar and the yeast, and the point at which the yeast dies in its own shit. Golden age collapsing into dark and swallowing humanity with it. A nine kilogram mix of plutonium and uranium, the size of a grapefruit, with enough weight to squeeze neutrons out of nuclei. And those neutrons then squeeze more and more, and the chain starts fizzing and blammo. Here, in the home that St. Joseph blessed, the truth of critical mass is simpler. Three clomacalm and a fistful of cat biscuits twice a day. Sure, there's no nuclear reaction here. Not even a bottle of 5% alcohol, and Rome never fell in a day. Instead, I could talk to my cat. We had made a list of baby names before we realised we had problems. Everyone was using Jack, so that was no go, and Melissa's and Melinda's were too much like Sharon. For Morella, not me. I thought they were pretty names. We borrowed baby name books from relatives and trawled through internet sites for popular and rare and cute and symbolic and Christ knew what else names. We boiled it all down to two pages, a page for boys and a page for girls. Zoe, Zara and Sophie we managed to agree on, but the boys... Well, we couldn't agree on the boys. I liked Luke and John and Matthew, but Morella mentioned the pictures on the walls before we moved in, and I soon changed my mind. So what's hot on the list now? Mr Pussy sprawled over my legs on the couch. I ran my thumb down, crossed out Reese's, Hugo's, Scott's and Max's, until I reached the end of the boys' list. Three names were still in contention. Jaden, Daniel and Grant? Don't like them. They're wrong. I didn't remember deciding on these names. I thought we were still on Charlie. Morella had obviously changed our mind and chosen a few more. Yeah, I don't like them either. I flipped to the girls list. Zoe had been scribbled out. So had Zara and Sophie. Taylor, Ashley, Jane, Anna? Wrong. Mr Pussy looked at a claw. Badly wrong. Daniel's biblical too. She wouldn't let me use those sorts. It's not because it's biblical, buddy. They're wrong, but that ain't the pattern. Pattern? They're just shit names. Misspelled, remixed, faux, trendy, bogan names. What pattern? Mr Pussy arches back and stretches forelegs before jumping off and wandering over to his bowl. What pattern? I repeated. I knew he knew. I almost sensed the bastard laughing at me. Becky's first, mate, he poured at the pantry. Jaden? Jane, Anna, Grant, what bloody pattern? I'm not going to feed you. He gave me a nonchalant stare and sauntered over the cat flap. Fuck you then. He cast a quick glance back to make sure I was still watching him before he headbutted the cat flap. Let me know when you're ready. Normal feeding time won't count. He eased his head through the flap. Okay, okay, I'll do it. Just tell me the goddamn pattern. Mr Pussy wriggled his bulk through the flap, twitching his hind leg as he slipped outside. Nah, fuck you, you cunt. You'll learn. I made peace with Mr Pussy in the courtyard as he lay on the barbecue sunning himself. I presented him with a double-sized helping of Bickies and an accompanying saucer of chocolate milk. He claimed the chocolate milk helped his hangovers. I knew, I knew some cats were cocoa intolerant and that older cats became lactose intolerant, but Mr Pussy had promised not to shit in the house. His black coat felt hot against the palm of my hand as I rubbed his back. 
Hey, how about some tunes while we eat? He took a tentative lap of the milk. Stick on the auteurs. Hey, what about the pattern to the names? Just put on the fucking tunes, pal. Their after-murder park record will do nicely. I could do with a little darkness on such a nice day. I put on the CD and sat next to Mr Pussy as he munched through the contents of his bowl. Well, I took a handful of the bickies and chewed on them. They tasted bloody good. Just wait. When the song Unsolved Child Murder came on, Mr Pussy poured at my hand. You listening? I was. And it hit me. A three-year-old boy found battered floating in a dam. A two-year-old girl discovered beaten to death in the boot of a car. Jaden. Taylor. They'd been prominent in the news over the last couple of years. My wife had picked the names of murdered children to call our unborn. I've made an appointment with an obstetrician, said Morella. You're not going to believe this. Really? I concentrated on the news on the TV. My skin itched and sweat leaked from my buttocks to slide up my spine and soak my eardrums. I needed a bicky fix bad. Yes, Dr England comes recommended from Simone, but guess who is his midwife? I don't know who. Perhaps I could get up and pretend to feed the cat. Maybe slip in a mouthful and then pretend I have to water the front garden. Yeah, that'd do it. I could rinse my mouth from the hose too. I rose from the couch and headed towards the pantry, already feeling better. Come on, Paul, take a guess. The gaze followed me around the room. I poured a bowl for the cat and secreted a handful of bickies into my pocket. Uh, your sister-in-law? No, it's Lucy Case. I wondered if Morella saw the gilt clamber onto my face and take a seat. She, uh, she didn't say anything, did she? Yes, said Morella. She remembered you all right. The bicky compulsion vanished. Right. And get this, she even asked how the work I was doing at the charity was going. Morella laughed. I didn't think she even saw me, let alone listen to a word I said when we first met. I heard Mr Pussy laughing to his bowl. Thankfully, Morella didn't. There's something wrong with this room. Mr Pussy sat outside the bedroom door peering in. Can't you sense it? There's nothing wrong with it. You're just paranoid. I patted the bed, inviting him to come up. He didn't move. What? You think the bedroom is haunted? If the bedroom is haunted, then so is this whole house. I mean, after all, Lucy Kay said, I know what she said, fuck knuckle. Every house in this realm is haunted, but your bedroom, may potato, your bedroom is another story. The very air is pregnant, my friend. Fuck going in there. He padded off down the hallway. Pregnant with what? Malice? Evil? St. Joseph? I called after him. Kids? I fucking hate kids. Never works when I'm involved. Too many do-gooders in this world. Anyway, shouldn't you be up and working on your masterpiece? I'm going to go take a shit in your garden. The cat flat banged as he left the house. There were stains on the bedsheet, and they weren't mine. And the room smelled of roses. Morella had changed the baby names again. All the girl names were crossed out, and the boys too, except for one new entry. Her normally neat handwriting appeared shaky and inconsistent. I popped a few bickies into my mouth and dropped a couple on the floor for Mr Pussy, and he gobbled them down without saying a word. Joseph. She's going to call our unborn Joseph. Ah, at least it ain't dead kids' names. What about Lucas or Jude? I shook the list in front of Mr Pussy's face. Why no girl names? Does she know we're having a boy? How could she know that? I mean, is St Joseph screwing my wife? Is he the father? We've got that creepy casewoman acting midwife just like something out of Rosemary's Baby, except this time it's bloody St Joseph's. Ah, call it, man. You're starting to lose it. Take another chill pill. I went to the cupboard to prepare the clomacarm. How would you feel? I mean, with a goddamn ghost filling your missus with spirit sperm because you're not man enough to do the job. 
Hey, what would I know, pal? Some bitch cut my balls off before I even got to use them. Yeah, but you're just a cat. I chomped the pill down with a mouthful of bickies. I mean, this is about manhood and masculinity, and this is what I'm here on this earth to do. Are you talking to the cat, said Morella. I whirled to face her, trying to hide the biscuits in my hand while wiping the crumbs from my lips. Uh, what are you doing home? I've just come back from the obstetrician. What are you eating? Nothing. Mr Pussy yelled and scampered outside. What have you been doing? She stepped slowly towards me and I backed further into the kitchen. Nothing. Morella saw the packet of pills on the bench, the open box of cat biscuits. Her face paled. Oh my God. I was feeding them to the cat. Morella shook her head. No, this can't be. She sat down on the sofa and held her head in her trembling hands. Not today. Morella, it's not what you think. Don't lie to me. Tears welled in her eyes. Blood coloured her cheeks. What the hell have you been putting into your body? She touched her stomach and started to cry. My body? What the hell have you been putting into your body? You're the one that's been screwing St. Joseph, so bloody desperate to be pregnant that... What? St. Joseph? What are you talking about? You know exactly what I mean. You and him doing the business. Mr. Pussy knows. We've been trying to figure out how to handle the situation. Mr. Pussy? Morella's voice hitched and dropped to a coarse whisper. You were talking to the cat. Huge racking sobs sputtered saliva and tears over the baby name list on the coffee table. The day I find out we're pregnant is the day I find out my husband is losing his mind. Mr. Pussy climbed up on the window ledge and peered inside. He was laughing at me. Yeah, I can talk to the cat, I ranted. It's not so unusual. He's pretty smart. I mean, he's been helping me fill in the patterns. The picture. You know. I don't know why I went along with the whole St. Joseph conceiving conception. That goddamn Lucy case. I should never have fucked her. You know, you're pregnant? Yes! Morella bawled until the sound stopped mid-throat like the last tock of a clock wired to a bomb. You fucked Lucy case? Mr. Pussy bolted. Morella spent that night at her sister's. I sat on the sofa and popped Pussy's pills and munched on Bickies until semi-naked women holding phones saying, Call me, call me, paraded across the television screen. The ink we'd used for the names on the baby list had smeared with Morella's tears. And I'd been wrong. The handwriting wasn't hers, it was mine. Some stupid, unconscious attempt to put the fear of losing a child into Morella to compensate for my fear of fatherhood. I got a plan! Mr Pussy leapt up onto the coffee table to obscure my view of the TV. I know how to fix it. I don't think I can hear you. The calls are only four ninety-five a minute. Actually, the problem is I do think I can hear you. She loves gardening, right? I picked up the phone and jabbed in the numbers displayed on the TV. Go away. Look, I'll poison her with my shit. Toxoplasmosis. She'll lose the baby. You'll give birth to a freak and then she'll leave you. And we can get on with living our lives the way we want. Fuck off, you little shit. I backhanded the cat. He flew across the room, his body twisting until he smacked into the wall. He hissed and slunk out, the cat flap into the night. A voice on the other end of the telephone meowed. What are you wearing? I asked, fumbling at my trousers. The telephone meowed again. The air filled with roses, overwhelming and all-consuming roses, the perfume forcing its way into every orifice. Outside, the devil screamed in the darkness. A strong hand on my shoulder, a voice resonant in masculinity. I will take on this responsibility for you, Paul. I will be the father you fear to be. The phone fell from my hand. I wanted to curl into myself and cry away the madness, to burn clear under a newborn sun, to worship and be reborn. I turned to face the light and vomited a stomach full of half-digestive antidepressants and cat biscuits down the back of the sofa. 
James handed me a low-alcohol beer. You sure allowed to drink this with the medication you're on? Yeah, yeah, it's fine. I popped the top as James took a seat. I don't really need to take them. I'm just doing it to show Morella I'm okay. She's next door with Simone comparing tummy bulges. There's a big difference between seven months and three months, James said. We sat out in the courtyard, warming in the morning sun. I saw him note the desiccated cat shit on the barbecue grill. I sipped my beer. That's a reminder of the bad old days, you know, so I don't lose focus. You know she killed the cat? I asked. She gave him away. You know that. And you know you should clean that up. I mean, it took too long for you two to fall pregnant to risk losing it through exposure to the cat. I mean, not having the pills or biscuits in the house anymore can only be good, right? Right? Right. So you think I'm schizophrenic too? I felt my voice rising. Hey, take it easy. He swallowed a mouthful of beer, then burped. It's one of those possible side effects from using Clomacarm, but I'm not saying you were. you got to admit, though, you were acting pretty weird. In cats, James. Schizophrenia in cats. Clomacarm is called clompramine, and that's used in human medication. What about all the chemicals in that cat food? I mean, what the hell were you thinking? Uh, that it'd help my boy's production, I said sheepishly. Well, at least that seemed to work, he said. Critical fucking mass. We both laughed and sipped our beers in silence in the sun for a while. You're a man of faith, James. I know Morella told you I thought St. Joseph was uh, um, impregnating her with his child, you know, immaculate conception and all that. He nodded. Sounds crazy, eh? He nodded again. Joseph was only a man, Paul. Jesus was the son of God, not Joseph. I mean, that wouldn't be too immaculate now, would it? I wanted to tell James in my darkest hour he'd come to me of how he was exacting his revenge on God and the recreation of the perfect birth, of the perfect child that he had originally been denied, and of how he'd even been next door. I wanted to tell James that St. Joseph had raised me from the depths of my soul where I'd been drowning, but it didn't sound spiritual at all. To paraphrase our good friend Lucy Case, it sounded a little too religious, and no one wants to listen to a born again. And with a bolt of inspiration, the title of my novel suddenly came to me. How I found God, bracket, inside my wife, close bracket. I smiled and proposed a toast. To the miracle of life. Zoe Josephine McNabb was born on March 19th, St. Joseph's Day, weighing in at seven pounds. Guess who else had weighed seven pounds at birth? Morella was in labour for seven hours, which is incidentally how long Mary took to deliver her baby boy. Dr. England congratulated me with a firm handshake. Sorry you had to use the hospital annex, Paul. We'll get them moved into private quarters as soon as we can. Lucy Case kissed me quickly on the mouth and whispered into my ear, God rewards his own. And looking back, I'm sure she pressed her groin against mine, but I was lost in the moment of Zoe's angelic arrival. And leading up to her conception and birth, I realised I'd been terrified of what was going to happen to my life, that I was going to lose my life, but I was wrong. Apart from the late nights, the lack of sleep and the crying, our house is finally a home. And Morella and I always know when Zoe's nappy needs changing too. The room smells of roses. Terra incognita speculative This month's review book is The Daughters of Moab by Kim Westwood. Daughters is an ambitious first novel from Canberra-based author Kim Westwood and the best debut novel I've seen from an Australian in many years. This will come as no surprise to those who've followed Kim's short story writing career. 
Here's a novel where the world building has been so completely developed, the often startling plot twists are supported effortlessly within its web. It also contains the most beautiful and precise use of language, phrases that are creative in the true sense of the word. In a near future Australia, the world has gone to hell. The Earth's crust spewing forth the poisons mankind has pumped beneath it for decades, creating a Dantesque environment where the remnants of society cling to the frayed edges of the coast. And yet the landscape of Daughters is not trapped in its final entropic throes. There's unknown potential there. The very genes of those left behind seem to be infinitely malleable and, in some cases, cry out memories of the times before and of what is to come. Daughters is peppered with beautifully complex characters, some all too human, others all too something else. Like Eustace Crane II, disgusting, scheming, vain and secret founder of the followers of Nathaniel, a sect based on a nasty treatise he wrote predicting the end of the world. The fact that he got it flukily right raised his stocks amongst those reeling from the disaster, and as a result he lords it over a pathetic enclave of increasingly sick humans. His strong right arm is a sumter viali, and she's got a secret of her own, but not one Eustace really wants to find out because there's something strange about her genes and her reasons for demanding a blood fee for her talents. Then there's the captive daughters of Moab, suppliers of this strange blood and children of a misguided group of genetic scientists who grew female children through parthenogenesis or even the genetic material of two or three women with a little extra something thrown in. Easter is one such captive of the Nathans, weakened by continual blood collections as the captors try to alchemically change the liquid into a life-giving elixir. And then there's Oliver, who gets rather too much of a taste for cockroaches with unsettling results. This is a rich world and a magical tale that unfolds on its own terms. It's not an easy read. You have to consciously engage with the text, but your efforts will be well rewarded. Four stars. The Daughters of Moab by Kim Westwood is published in Australia by HarperCollins. You've been listening to Terra Incognita Australian Speculative Fiction Podcast. Visit tisf.com.au for links to featured authors' websites and to the publications and for other information. The rights holder grants a licence to you to download these audio files for your private, personal, domestic, non-commercial use only. You may not use these audio files for any other purpose. Copyright of the stories remains with the author. The book review in this podcast is copyright Keith Stevenson, 2008. Tune in next month for another podcast of the best Australian speculative fiction read by the authors who created it. Oh, <laughs>